What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Thoughts About the VLDI. It's your host, the VLDI, bringing you another episode. Today, I have someone with me. My previous episode, I gave you a story time, a solo episode. Everyone had been asking me to tell you, tell them about my dog man story, so I had to give it to you. So if you haven't yet, make sure you go check that out. While you edit, you can go over to Twitter and Instagram and follow me at D-V-I-L-L-E underscore D-I. And uh, so today we have with us an author of some books like The Politically Incorrect Jesus, Father Say, Give the Gift of Blessing to Your Children, and Unfriended, Finding True Community in a Disconnected Culture. We have Joe Battaglia. Did I nail it? You nailed it. Thank awesome. You. How you doing today, Joe? Well, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks okay. for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time out to talk with me today. People underestimate how special it makes me feel when people take the time out to be a part of this podcast. Well, you know, it's always great to talk with anybody. You <laughs> learn so much. Definitely, definitely. So, Joe, when we get started, I like to let the people get a little bit and know a little bit about the guests that we have on the show. So, Let's start off with a little bit of background. Tell us about Joe. Who is Joe? Joe, well, let me see. Let me ask him. I'll be right back. So, <laughs> <clears throat> well, I was uh, born and raised right here in North Jersey, Patterson area. Um, uh, and um, my parents were immigrants. Uh, they came here uh, in the late 30s uh, from Italy. Okay. Uh, actually to escape the war because they could see what was coming down. Um, and so um, all they did was uh, transplant what they had there over here. <laughs> so I grew up uh, in a very welcoming family. Um, we had uh, a large piece of land in the middle of town um, where my grandfather would raise all the crops and do the gardening and, and the chicken coop and the wine cellar and the whole bit. And so. Mm -hmm. Um, so I grew up in that environment, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, same as everybody else, loved playing baseball. Uh, that's how I grew up. I was a Yankees fan. Okay. Uh, you, you was a Yankee fan? You're not a fan anymore? Oh, no. Yeah, I, I still am very much a Yankee <laughs> fan. But I'm a bigger baseball fan. Okay. Right? Uh, so we had uh, great teams in New York then, uh, Dodgers, right? And they were mm. still here and the Giants. I still remember them vaguely. <clears throat> and so, um, grew up in that environment, played a lot of ball, you know, did the normal things that guys did, um, I guess. And then went to college, Boston University. I was a journalism major, came back. Uh, and by the way, I was in college from 68 to 72, mm -hmm. which was pretty crazy on the college campus back then, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, um, just an exciting time to be there and to learn a lot about stuff that I had never ever experienced where I was growing up in North Jersey. Um, 
and uh, came home and started a magazine for the Christian community in the New York area, uh, just something I landed, uh, and then uh, got a job in broadcasting, um, and that's been my career over these last 45, seven years or so. Awesome. Um, and so uh, with a lot, a lot with gospel music back then, Mm. And the early stages of contemporary Christian music, um, got to love all that. Uh, got on the board of the Gospel Music Association, spent 20 years doing that, chairman for a couple, um, uh, you know, became involved in owning uh, part ownership of a, a radio station in Long Island while I was still at my radio station in New Jersey. Got involved with a lot of sports ministries. So I got to do chapel services for the NFL and Ooh. baseball uh, services, chapel services for a lot of the baseball teams. Um, then decided to start my own company 28 years ago, Renaissance Communications. And I'm still here doing it. And we have um, done a lot of fun projects. I've done a lot of live events, live Ooh. specials on radio, love live radio. Uh, have produced a number of projects, uh, got involved in the uh, beginning stages uh, of the uh, uh, faith film industry as well over the last 18 years. So I do a lot of the national radio promotion for many of the uh, faith-based movies mm. that are out there um, and uh, work with Prison Fellowship, wonderful ministry, uh, work with Dr. Steve Brown. Um, and then we have a radio show that's syndicated that I executive produce with my partners called Keep the Faith. And that's the largest faith-based uh, music show in the country, uh, weekly, uh, 2 million Q, um, on you know, over 200 markets. Ooh. So we do that as well. And then I write. I'm an author, as you noted. So I have uh, just written my sixth book, Make America Good Again. Um, and so I love writing and I get to do all that still and enjoy the discipline that I had uh, when I uh, began as uh, a reporter in high school. So that's, uh, that's the 30,000 foot version of me. <laughs> yeah, I just learned something from you just that quick. I did not know that sports teams had chapels. Like, oh yeah. So like what what I'm interested in like what role does the chapel play? Do you just like pray before the games or it's really, really simple. They keep it simple for real good reasons, you know. So what they do is um, you know, sports guys, you know, and teams, they play on Sunday, right? When mm -hmm. a lot of people would go to church or Catholic mass or whatever. <clears throat> and so the chapel services develop uh with uh, mainly from one of my mentors, uh, Dave Swanson, um, who began helping out um, in, uh, in football. And he was responsible for arranging 18 chapel services for NFL teams back then. Uh, and so basically the chapel speaker, it's a little different now than it was then, but uh, the chapel speaker for many years would be um, uh, someone from the outside who would come in and do a very short 
like devotional, inspirational message. It wasn't really that heavy. Mm. Maybe 15, 20 minutes, just something to refocus attention uh, before the games. Um, <clears throat> and then the chapel leader was usually a team member. One of the guys, uh, I used to do a lot of the Giants chapels. Back then, you know, George Martin was basically the chapel leader and there were some others. So you'd have uh, a member of the team who was chapel leader for them. And then my partner who would help arrange for the speakers to come in. Mm. Right. And so then the speaker would be somebody like me who, uh, you know, would do a, a quick devotion or inspirational message. And then, you know, no, no, no longer than 20 minutes. Uh, and then just, you know, uh, if, uh, a player wanted just to pray for something, you know, we would do that. Uh, we were never allowed to uh, get autographs or take anything from them, um, which is good, the way it should be. Um, so I did that for football for some years and then baseball. And so the, my big dream was getting to do the Yankees chapel services many times. Mm. I would often take my dad with me. Um, and it was really funny because... Um, my, my greatest memory, um, you know, was not who I met, uh, at all. It was just having my dad with me one day at Yankee stadium, um, and just introducing him to Yogi Berra. Wow. And, um, and, you know, when my dad came over in 1937, I think it was, um, you know, he spoke no English, right? Um, mm -hmm. and <laughs> So because he was Italian, all they knew were the Italian names, DiMaggio, Rossetti, Lazzari, and then Berra. And so um, he got to uh, meet an idol of his, in a sense. And he had the biggest smile on his face. He was like a kid in a candy store. And I will never forget that moment when I saw something on my dad that I had never seen previously or ever saw again that kind of smile, like a little kid who just walked up and met, you know, somebody that he idolized. Yeah. And so that was the fun part for me, you know, sharing things with family and friends that had meaning to them. Um, and so, so yeah, long answer to your question, but they still have chapel services every Sunday. Um, and so, yeah, that's been going on for, oh, a long time now. Ah, I did not know that. And that's that's pretty awesome that you're able to uh give your dad that experience. A lot of people don't understand, you know, the, the richness that comes with being able to create a memory or an experience with someone. Some people are so mm -hmm. caught up in the material world that they just putting a smile on somebody's face is, is way more valuable than, you know, most of the things people hold very highly. You know, you're right. I mean, that's the one thing I most remember about him, um, you know, that day and other things that he gave me. You know, the wonderful thing about uh, he was just a simple guy. He was a shoemaker. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and all they really cared about was uh, taking care of your family um, and loving on people. Uh, didn't matter who you were. So it's very poignant. It's back really good memories. Awesome. Yeah. So I noticed that majority of the, the ventures that you're into are face-based. Mm -hmm. Has 
your faith always played a major role in your life? Um, it really came to the forefront um, in my college years of all places. Wow. <laughs> University. In the middle of all that craziness. Uh-huh. Student riots, um, moratoriums. Um, you know, what we're experiencing today is not unlike what we experienced back then. Mm-hmm. And so I see a lot of similarities. I see a lot of uh, people wanting to do the right thing. Um, I mean, justice, that was core back then. Um, Of course, we wanted free speech, meaning everybody could say anything they want. Today, it's anti-free speech, and it's really confusing uh, because that's, you know, I want to hear what other, other people have to say that is different than me. Yeah. As a journalist, that's my job, is to find out what is on your mind and heart and to not have a judgment of it, but to allow that to come out. Then I can interpret it correctly, and then you can make up your own mind whether you want to believe it or not. Yeah, I, I think we could, we could build a whole lot better if we spent more time listening to each other. Oh, yeah. Not just, not just talking at each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But taking the time to exactly. absorb what the other person's trying to tell you. Well, that's what I've tried to come out in my books of <clears throat> how we've lost a lot of the kindness and the civility mm-hmm. uh, and the nobility of being with people unlike you. Mm-hmm. That was the whole essence of the genius of our nation in its motto, E Pluribus Unum, from the many one. That's the genius of our faith. Uh, that we're all different yet one, not that we're all the same in one. Yeah. So I go out and I look for people unlike me. And I think we have a lot of um, uh, parables in scripture that I model after Jesus. And we can unpack those if we have time. But, but my faith since college and getting out of college has always been in the forefront um, because I find it to be an, an amazing North Star mm-hmm. that wherever I'm going or wherever I am, I always can find something outside of myself that has purpose and meaning and direction for me. And I think that's a lot of what we're missing today, um, that we try to make all these decisions and look for things that are inside of us, and we can't always find it there. Mm-hmm. And if we don't find it there, we're lost. We're fearful. And I think we see a lot of that fear being played out today in anger on the yeah. street. Um, and, and that's tragic. Um, you know, that's not necessary. Um, you know, I'm more likely to listen to you uh, and want to learn if we're sitting down and talking about things um, and, and finding out things about ourselves. Um, I think that's what the gospel is about, um, how I change. Uh, Because if there's a problem in the world, it's always me. Mm -hmm. You know, I can say you're the problem and you're the problem and you're the problem, but until I change, I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. Everybody said that about themselves. Well, then we have true change. And that's what I find that my faith allows me um, an ethic beyond my ability to live it 
And that's what my faith allows me to, right? So I'm looking for that power to live something that I'm incapable of living and acting out all the time. So that's my message to people, um, you know, and hopefully a, a peaceful, kind, civil way where I respect who you are and your life. And uh, we talk about how we can benefit and find common ground with each other rather than fighting each other. Awesome. So yeah. let's get into a little bit of, of your, your books. So we'll start with your latest one, Make America Good Again. Yeah. So tell us about that. Okay. Well, I took the title. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a quote. Uh, it's often attributed to a French historian, Alexis de Tocqueville, who came to the United States in the 1830s to find out what made this country great, because already it had been established as an amazing example of nothing that had ever happened before. And so um, there is there's a quote that he has, and it's a long quote, I won't go into it, but he basically said at the end of it that it wasn't until he went into the pulpits of America that were aflame with righteousness that he understood the genius of our greatness, that America is great because she is good, and if she ever ceases to be great, she will cease to be good. And so he uh, actually didn't say that because it's not in his two-volume set of Democracy in America. I read it. Um, But whoever said it, it's a great quote. Um, And um, he could have said something like that. Um, And so that's often used to say what is the greatness about America. And to me, greatness is about achievement, but goodness is about character. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Dr. King's message, which to me, I was, you know, again, get emotional with that. I think it's, if not the greatest um, speech in American history, uh, where, you know, when he said, you know, I have a dream where my four children will live in a nation. That is that does not judge them by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. It's so, excuse me. It's all right, man. It's all right. When you touch, you got to be touched. Yeah. You're not too tough for that around here. No, I'm good. Um, And so I memorized a lot of that speech. When he gave it, I was a 13-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. But it resonated in my heart. And so that's what I... um, want for America. I want us to be good again. Wherever that is, that the content of our character to be truly great, not because our GNP is such and such, or I'm able to, you know, buy some cars and clothes and all that. Yeah. That's good. It's okay. I'm not disparaging that. But <clears throat> when I can um, come before God, and my character is solid. Um, that to me is the essence of what I want to be in my life. And so that's why I wanted to write about it. Um, we have so much going on in our culture today. Uh, wherever one stands on Black Lives Matter uh, or cancel culture <laughs> or um, 
you know, make America great again, uh, or redefining history, um, or any of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, if we do them in the wrong spirit, then we're never going to be good. We're just not, because that's going to leave us hurt and wounded. And goodness lifts people up. It encourages people. It heals hurts. It binds wounds. It allows us to understand that uh, when I'm more welcoming of scripture, I'm more welcoming of people unlike me. I find out who my brother really is. Um, And so that's why I write these books. And that's why I wrote this one. Um, Because I could see what was coming. Um, we're just too mad at everybody, too angry, too whatever, take your pick. And so, uh, yeah, it's based on that quote. I go through things in the book that talk about, um, um, you know, it's not us versus them. It's always been just us. You know, it's we, the people, not them and those guys. And, you know, we're seeing people trying to divide us. And I talk about why, excuse me, the uh, politically correct movement. Um, I did a lot of research on that. And, um, you know, basically it started in Europe to create the us versus them, bad guys versus the good guys because of the oppression that was there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that spirit of oppression, um, that's part of political correct agenda. It's to create division. You know, they had to create a division to fight off the bad guys. And, you know, and they always had to create um, good versus bad. Whether you, you know, rich, it was originally rich versus poor Mm -hmm. versus the oppressor. Um, In America, you know, you could say people want to create black versus white and all that nonsense. Um, You want to create anything that creates a division. Yeah. You know, that is not what Jesus is about. Uh, That is not what this country should be about. Um, And so uh, I want to make sure that the words that I speak, the things that I say are come with the gospel of peace attached to them. And as I always say that the spirit I bring into anything is the same spirit which is consumed at the other end by the person receiving it. That's why words are powerful mm-hmm. and art is powerful and music is powerful because everything we do creatively, we bring a spirit into it. And if it's a spirit of division, confrontation, anger, then the person who hears that, sees that, listens to that, they will feel a spirit of anger and that will create confrontation. But if I bring a spirit of peace and of love and tranquility and reconciliation, then they will sense that. And that's the spirit that they will understand. So uh, it's important. And that's what I write about. Um, I write about um, how we need to be intertwined with each other. I, I use an example of the giant redwood trees in California. Mm. You know, they are so big. They're over 300 feet tall, some of them. 
Yeah, I, I had a chance to see those when my daughter that lives in California. There you go. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Oh, you'd think they'd have really deep roots to hold them up. Mm -hmm. They don't. They have a very shallow root system. Is that right? And the key is that the roots travel up to 100 feet from the tree. And they intertwine with all the other roots of all the other trees in the community, the trees. And that is what enables them to stand when forces. So the trees are, are holding each other up. Holding each other up. That is what community is like. I'm supposed to be um, intertwined with you. Mm -hmm. That makes us stronger. And so if I choose not to, that makes me weaker. So the more we stay within ourselves and only be with people who look like us, think like us, act like us, the weaker and smaller we become and the lonelier we get. The more I wrap myself around people in a community that are unlike me, the stronger I become, the more tolerant I am. Because when I sit and work alongside you or sweat alongside you, um, and I hear the heartbeat of your dream, uh, it sounds a lot like my dream. When I look into your eyes and I can see eternity in your soul, it looks a lot like my soul. Mm. And then you become more like a brother than a stranger. And so we've abdicated that. We've lost it. We stay online. We, ver we throw verbal grenades at people. We, you know, bully people. We shame people um, because we're so small that we refuse to be with people who don't think like us any longer. Yeah. That is tragic and that's the problem. I mean, um, so I write about these things and talk about immigration and gun control and climate change. And <clears throat> I find a perspective that is beyond me. So I am neither conservative nor liberal, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I am not Republican, I am not a Democrat. I am beyond that. And that's what I suggest to people. Um, go beyond it. Find a way in which to find common ground with everybody. Um, stick by what you believe. And if asked, live out what you believe rather than talk about it and yell about it. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of all this disingenuous rants about people who talk tolerance and are intolerant of others who talk about love and act so unloving and talk about inclusion while vehemently denying other people access to themselves. It just doesn't make sense. It's hypocritical. So we need to stand up and say, this doesn't really make sense. And I always like to say that when we lose our moral sense, our common ground, in that regard, we lose our moral compass. And when we lose our moral compass, all everything is no longer common sense, it's nonsense. So we see a lot of nonsense. We stand back and we look at people act the way they do and say the things that they do and we wonder, well, how in the world can you say that? 
<clears throat> what are you thinking? Of? Doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. That's because we've lost our moral compass. And what, so, um, so I talk about that and a bunch of other things. What in your opinion you, do you think led us away from our moral compass or from using our moral compass? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a big, big question, big answer. Uh, you know, the reality of um, it's a slow fade. Okay. Um, there's the, obviously I believe that my moral compass is found in scripture. I have to respect others who don't believe that. Mm -hmm. Right. We have to. Um, and so um, the problem is that the universe operates in a certain way where, you know, if I, if I take this pen and I drop it, right, it's going to go down. So there are physical laws in the physical universe that govern that. Yes. So I think there are moral laws in the universe that govern that as well, a spiritual element to it. And I think the more we get away from having that, and I, I would call it the Judeo-Christian biblical frame of reference, which speaks to the elevation of man having, uh, every man having dig dignity in the image, built in the image of God. I think once we leave that moral base that we are made in the image of God, every person. Therefore, we have infinite worth um, and infinite opportunity because the God of creation does not limit us. You know, creators don't ever cease to create. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, likewise, if I'm made in that image, I have all the characteristics available to me to know truth, to see it all around me, to create, um, to be an amazing individual. And yet forces in culture and society will come against you to prevent that. You know, sometimes it's poverty. Sometimes it's ego. Yeah. Sometimes it's wealth. You know, just the opposite of poverty. The same thing can happen to the individual. You can lose yourself in poverty as you can lose yourself in wealth. You can lose yourself in ego. If you don't have something that you're, you can focus on that will redirect you back to that North Star, as I said. So I think once we began to eliminate the notion of God in the public square, um, whether it was, you know, the um, elimination of prayer, um, the elimination of things, symbols in the marketplace that spoke to something beyond us, faith beyond us. Um, when I think, when I look up and I see the galaxy, it tells me, well, I'm not as, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm significant to God, but it, it humbles me more than it makes me feel like I'm superior. Yeah. It's good to feel humbled. <laughs> You know, yeah. you have better self-assessment then. And so I think the more we have removed the discussion of God from the marketplace, and I'll give you an example, right? Um, my daughter was about five. We're driving in our town. 
and it was during Christmas time. And um, at a municipal building and the grounds of the municipal building, they had um, a nativity scene, a menorah, a Santa, and a, a, a winter solstice symbol. Mm-hmm. For those who don't believe in uh, Christmas and, 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 and uh, Hanukkah, um, and so, um, so my daughters, you know, certainly knew what, uh, the nativity scene was right. Yeah. And Fanta, <laughs> but she said, dad, what's that symbol? And she pointed to the menorah and I had the privilege of explaining to her what my Jewish friends believe, mm. you know, the whole, it's a fabulous story, right? One day's worth of oil turned out to be eight, you know, the Maccabees, turned against the oppressors, the Assyrians were able to turn them back and defeat this army through the grace and, and the uh, miracle of God in their life. And, and, and that was a wonderful way to teach her something that was a mystery. So I was able to do that. She was able then to understand better what her friends believe yeah. and could then understand things. So um, to me, that's a wonderful thing when I see other people's symbols in the marketplace that I can point to. So when you take away mystery, you remove a certain degree of potential for intolerance because most of intolerance is ignorance and fear and wrong messaging that people get about somebody else, another group of people or whatever. Yeah. So I strongly believe that we should be talking about the things that are different about us in the marketplace. And I think Jesus understood that, you know, him going through Samaria, the woman at the well story, um, you know, a Jewish man like him, number one, should never have been in Samaria. That was the land of the half breeds. Jews did not consider them actual Jews, but half breeds. Plus he shouldn't be talking to a woman at all. But he goes out of his way to be with somebody unlike him. And then she goes back and tell every, tells everybody in her town, hey, guess who I just met? So the principle of that is that when we go out of our way to be with people unlike us, they will go out of their way to tell people about us. And that's important. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, to me, the... Um, the more important part of that story is not so much that the Samaritan stopped to take care of the individual when the religious people wouldn't. The story is that to me, he was on the road in the first place to mm-hmm. meet someone unlike him. You know, if we're going to intersect with our neighbor, we need to be out there in order to have someone to intersect with. Yes. You know, it won't do any good if I stay on my computer and build my life around a fake community. Uh, I've got to be out there. I've got to be with people. I've got to be with people that are not like me. Uh, They don't look like me. They don't think like me. Um, And I find that fascinating, not disturbing, not confrontational. And I think we have lost a lot of that. You know, all this anger that's out there, you know, and, you know, blaming somebody for something else, um, you know, that's never going to fly. 
I never knew anybody that wanted to listen or follow anybody that was harsh. Did you? Do you? No, no. I don't go after. I don't enjoy sitting with people who are angry and harsh. And who does? Who wants to do yeah, that? You, you try. You tend to move away from those type of people. And to move away from them. Um, so by being harsh and violent, is that going to bring people to you or away from you? Well. It's obviously, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. So are people really interested in solutions or are they really interested in something other than that? What other agenda is there? Well, like I said, it's to create division and strife. Um, and we have to be bigger than that. We cannot allow that a foothold in our life and in our land. Um, we should work to resolve the things that are wrong and we should work to rejoice with the things that are right yeah. you know you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> my mom my mom says that well i hadn't heard her say it in a while but i've heard her say that before well you know just throw the bathwater out leave the baby and when so it, when it came to me i think it was some days that she wished she had threw the, the baby out too <laughs> <laughs> well that's another discussion. <laughs> so anyway, that's I have some thoughts on that. But yeah, that's that's a great message right there. Cause um like I have someone now, short story. Yeah. I have someone now that's a friend of mine. Now, this friend one day just out of the blue tells me, you know, I used to be racist. Uh -huh. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, come on, man. You quit playing. He's like, no, I used to be like really just racist, just didn't want to be around, hang around, talk to anybody that wasn't white. So I was like, well, and I never would have assumed it because from the day that I met him, he was just so nice and welcoming and, and, and you know, we became friends. And what made me think of that is, is something that you said, because he said to me, I said, well, what, what happened to make you, you know, to break that, you know, break that out of you? And he was telling me, um, he worked in the kitchen, washed the dishes. And in the kitchen, it was just him and a black guy. Mm -hmm. They have to wash these dishes together. Meanwhile, he can't stand even being... It, next to this guy he, he's like so every day i go to work mad because i had to go i went to work mad because i had to wash dishes with this guy uh -huh. and say so the guy was just someday you know he didn't say he was the overall nice but it was like he was of course once he felt that animosity he his yeah. his yeah. energy changed around him too it's like he yeah. was nice when i walked when i first met him and everything and i was just cold to him he was like but he just Seemed like he didn't even care. He came in, he worked, he helped me without me without even talking to me. He see me picking stuff up, he'll come help me pick it up, move stuff, you know, tell me, you know, go ahead, take your break first and I'm gonna do this. It's like he just worked around me. He worked with me, but not around me. Like I was trying to work around him. And he was like, one day I just broke and I started talking to the guy. 
And then once I started talking to the guy, I realized that a lot of the, the things that I had been taught weren't true. Yeah. A lot of things that I assumed weren't true. And so, you know, he, he became friendly with this guy. It was like just over years of that, from that experience, just years, years after that of meeting people and, and just being more open, like you're saying, more open to listen to people and um, talk to them about our differences, different, like the different way we grew up, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, he grew up this way, you know, in, in a crack house with the single mom and the, it's like, then I talked to him and finally talked to him and I found out, you know, this guy grew up same way I grew up. You know, we both country boys. We hunt deer, you know, we, we ride four wheelers. We do the exact same things. Yeah. You know, there's, there's more. You'll need to unlock your iPhone first. Uh -oh. What was that? Siri. There's more. He was like, we were more alike than we were different once I actually yeah. got to know the guy. And that sparked in my head once you, you know, you, you repeatedly saying you have to be open and moving toward people who are not like you. If we're ever going to be able to come together like those red oak trees and hold each other up. There you go. Nice. Well, that's, that's the message we need to tell people <clears throat> and um, help our national character be good again. You know, and it all starts with me, not you. So, I don't want to hold you up all day, but I got a question that I ask every, everybody on the show. I ask this question in one way, shape, or form, but it's still, to me, the same question. Okay. So, to run along with your topic, to that person out there who is hearing this right now, and he's like, you know what? Old Joe's on to something. Maybe it is time. Maybe I do need to break this chain of thinking that I have. I need to 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 try to make myself good again. What advice would you give them as the, like the first step? How would you advise them to get started in making that change in themselves? Sure. Well, <clears throat> of course, because of my personal faith in Christ, that's what I will always tell somebody. Um, I would say, um, get alone. And get honest and just talk to God like I'm talking to you now. You may not believe that he's there. And that's good because God already knows that you know, that he knows, that you don't know what you want. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> um, I, I do think we have to find something beyond ourselves as the final authority. Because I know that I can't trust myself. But the great news, and this is why I always go back to Jesus, because he certainly said so many wonderful things. And that if we are burdened and heavy laden, that people come to him and he will give us rest. Uh, and he will take the burden and make our hearts feel free and clean again. So if you have been unable to change, you know, I really want to be different. Um, and if you're honest about it, then you will see something change in your life. Um, and so to me, it's all about 
you know, getting, uh, getting honest with yourself, understanding that there's something beyond you and you are not the final judge and authority on everything. Most people don't want to be. <laughs> um, and, and confess that and be honest and just ask Christ to empower you and help you become the person that you would like to be. And I, it's what I say to people. And then investigate. As a journalist, <laughs> I'm always encouraging people, uh, don't let anybody else tell you something. You find out. You go dig you know, into scripture. And then find one other guy that you trust. Find one other guy that you can align yourself with as a friend and invest in that person so that he will invest in you. And that you can speak into each other's lives and be accountable. Um, and if that's resonating with you, <clears throat> then go find a place where you have a lot of those guys. Mm. Could be your church, could be your synagogue, maybe, you know, um, it could be your mosque, wherever you can find your peace. Uh, I'd say go do that. Um, and that's a good start, not too complicated. Um, that's where I would go first. Awesome. Now, before we get out of here, tell the people where they can find your books. Well, mainly it's easier to find it on, in Amazon. You know, everything is there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all, it's in all major bookstores, but since there aren't any any longer, <laughs> other than Barnes and Noble, maybe. Yeah, Barnes and Noble still holding on. Is Borders still around? I don't even know. I couldn't tell you. I hadn't seen one. Me, me neither. So, if you're around the Barnes and Noble, you can find them there. I have, you know, six books. Probably five are still in print, um, but certainly Amazon. Uh, you find it there. Uh, go to, you know, you can go to my author page, uh, Joe Battaglia, and you know, put that in there. You'll find them. Awesome. So, um, man, I really enjoyed talking to you today and I hope that I can have you back on the show. Well, all you got to do is ask. I'm awesome. You're, I, I really have enjoyed your spirit, um, and what you bring to the table here. Uh, and for everybody listening, thank you for listening to this podcast and, uh, thank you for the privilege of your attention. Awesome. Now, as always, to my listeners, thank you. And I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all for being the roots of my oak tree and holding me up through all of this. Shouts out to my guy, Joe. I'm not even going to bang up his last name like that. We're just going to leave it at Joe. Y'all make sure y'all go and check out his books. Did you hear the conversation? How could you not want to check out his books after this conversation, man? We out of here. Y'all have a great day. Enjoy yourselves.